Welcome to the Shake, Rat and Rolled podcast, episode 7. This episode sees me interviewing uh, one of the best Welsh boxers of recent times, Gary Lockett. Gary has gone from a professional boxer to become one of the most uh, well-established coaches uh, in Europe. Uh, Real interesting chat. I hope you enjoy. Right, welcome to episode 7 of the Shake, Rat and Roll uh, podcast. I'm Richard Shaw. Um, very fortunate today to have uh, one of the Welsh sporting greats with us, as I like to call him. Um, former world title challenger, former WBU uh, champion, um, now one of the most highly regarded coaches on the uh, on the European boxing and world boxing scene, um, the one and only Gary Lockett. How are we doing, Gary? Okay, buddy? I'm very well. That's high praise indeed you give me there, Rich. Uh, yeah, and I, th- I thought... I thought we sat in a positive before you start shouting at me. But you know, like, yeah, yeah. Right. First of all, let's talk about this madness going on. How are you coping with the lockdown at the moment? Uh, training. Just doing what I, I do best, I think. You know, obviously when, um, you know, when you're a coach, I think you're busy a lot of the time and you try to get in the training when you can. Um, but I've been exercising most days with my boy. He's 13. He's nearly I've, seen not, I've seen you on the... Social media with the lad who put him through his paces, but well, you know him anyway, Rich, because yeah. he, he comes to all Jack's fights. He's in the dressing room with us, and you know the first time he came, I think he was down, right down to my, my my abs and my chest. Now he's he's <laughs> as tall as me, so time flies by. But um, no, he's doing really well. He's like a whip it with the um, uh, with the five Ks and the six Ks. He's so I'm putting him through some weights and and different things now. So uh, yeah, he's doing really good, and it's it's good to have active children, isn't it? And, uh, yeah, my, what, my daughter's what's... the same. What's his, um, you know, what's his likes and dislikes sports-wise? What does he, what does he take part in normally? Is he into his boxing or has he got a different path? No, to be honest, you know, we took a different path. I, I don't think Jack's really, he loves boxing and he follows boxing um, and he, he comes to all the fights and stuff like that. But I, I wouldn't really want him to box if I'm honest. Um, yeah. You know, I think my heart would be in my mouth if, if he did. Yeah. Um, but he, he plays for Cardiff Lawn Tennis Club. Uh, he plays for Ponoclean Rugby and Ponoclean Football. And, um, you know, he's interested in all sports. So uh, uh, that's all I've always hoped that my, my children would be sporty and they both are, you know. We um, I had this conversation with Chris Fields the, the other day and we were both saying about the importance of kids being active. And it doesn't matter the sport, it's, you know, as long as they find something they love and enjoy. Um, but he said a lot of the a lot of the great sports people that he's, you know, he's been in and around, they never actually had a, a focal sport until they were 15, 16, 17. They tried all sports, do you know what I mean? Yes. And um, I think that's important. You know, I tried out, you know, I pushed out Jack to play football, rugby, um, boxing, you know, and then they, they find that, that that one particular sport that they want to get uh, invested in, don't they? And I, I don't think find that, one, that, that one sport will call them, won't it? You know, and um, I think for me, it was, it was a choice between rugby um, and... And and box. I was going to say football. Then never, never in a million years. <laughs> rugby and, and, and boxing. And um, you know, I played quite high level rugby, sort of under 14s, under 15s. And um, then boxing. You know, I, I I chose boxing in the end, and I suppose it turned out to be the right choice. So you know, let, let's go back to your boxing career. Then, what what age did you start boxing at, guy? So I started boxing with the Coydiva Club in Cumbran. Um, yeah. With Chris Manley. Um, God rest his soul. Um, he died um, maybe about a year ago now. Um, so God rest his soul. But no, I started with Chris Manley um, when I was about eight. Um, first fight at ten. And, 
yeah, it was, um, I can, I can remember, you know, I walk in gyms, some gyms now I walk in certain places and you know, when you have that smell and it takes yeah. you back to that time, yeah, it's yeah, 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 unbelievable. Yeah. You know, I, I can't remember where I was literally about a month ago or just before the, the lockdown. And I walked in something and it, it, it immediately took me back to the Coydiva gym in Combran and that smell, you know, that, that used glove smell, the bag smell, yeah, the yeah. gym smell amazing. But, uh, no, so eight years of age and first fight at 10. So, um, a lot, a lot of years ago. Why, why, why boxing? Was that something that, you know, your, your, your parents encouraged you to do or just something you fancy doing? I think my dad encouraged me to do it, um, you know, uh, and, and obviously with the Rocky movies, we all, we all love yeah. the Rocky movies, didn't we? And, um, I think my dad encouraged me and, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't very good straight away, but then obviously you, you stick at it, don't you? And, uh, you, you, you dig in with the pain, you stick at it, and then uh, you try you try to get something out of it. Then, what uh, was it? Was your dad a boxer, or just just wanted to keep you occupied? Um, I wouldn't say he was a boxer. He did plenty on the street, and uh, yeah, you know, but, <laughs> yeah, he, he was. He had a big interest in boxing when he was when he was a kid. I think he used to train in the same gym in Newport with like uh, old names like Billy May, and guys like that. And um, he's he was always always interested in. I think he had a couple of fights as as about a fifteen year old. But um, he was more of a, you know, an interested observer, and uh, yeah, so he, he encouraged me. And uh, he's a good coach, my dad. You know, um, he was a good, he was a good man to have uh, behind me. And and then after, obviously, I went on to leave Coydiva and go to Ponda Ponda Pool, and he stayed at Coydiva as a coach. And I always said, you know, he's very, very good to put with the, with with the learners. He, he's very good coach, take, teaching them the basics and 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 teaching them the discipline. Is is your dad still alive? Now is he still doing a bit of the coaching? Yeah. Yeah, he's he's coming up seventy now. Um, he stopped um, doing the coaching about three years ago, and um, yeah, just um, just just work. Still, still doing a little bit of work, and uh, you know, uh, slow slowly going old, and um, and but but less miserable. Yeah, <laughs> cheering up over time. Well, hopefully genetically, there's a few then, but you you know, you, you have a bit of a reputation being a bit of a misog now and then. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know why. I mean, I, I don't know why because I, I I've had some great times. You know, when I've been away with you and. Uh, what it is, I think, you know, when people speak to you, you you, you cut from the same problem. You can be very direct and very black and white on things, you know. There's no bullshit with you, to be honest. And um, sometimes people take that as, oh, because I've had it, you know, he's a miserable old git, but it's not. It's just, uh, I think I think we're just honest people when we uh, voice in our opinions on things. I just think I'm, um, like, my dad's very old school. And I think, you know, part of that has rubbed off on me. And, you know, I think it's always, you know, it's always very, very important to be respectful of people, no matter who they are, whether they're, whether they're a cleaner or whether they're a, a boxing champion or an MMA champion or, or a premiership footballer, you know, I, I try to treat everybody the same and, um, and just to be straight with people. And if you're straight with people, they, you know, they, they know exactly where, where they are. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I just, that's the way I am. That's the way I've always liked to carry myself. I'll take, I'll take that every day, mate. I'll take that every day. What, what, so let's go back to that you know like what what type of kid was Gary Lockett growing up you know we we did we were Cumbran boy all, all your life guy Cumbran boy um until 2006 um, yeah. we we moved we moved down to Pondaclean then because yeah. i married a, a mumbles girl and um we sort of moved halfway in between we mm. moved to Pondaclean and uh near my wife she had some relations around this area so we thought we'd move this area halfway in between Cumbran and and, and Swansea and uh, try and be in the middle of the the grandparents to our children, if you know yeah. what I mean. Um, what was you like as a kid, Guy? Were you somebody getting into scrapes? Were you a good lad? Were you a bit of no, a, a tearaway? I, 
I was a good lad, I think, you know, I was more like my mother, you know, my, my father was quite, um, he, he grew up, you know, with six or seven brothers and sisters, a single parent family, um, my nan having to work three jobs to keep them all, never really had a lot, whereas my mother was brought up, you know, just one brother and a little bit more well off, if you know what I mean, so yeah. I think um, I took my, my, my mother's characteristics so to be honest, if you know, I wasn't really a natural fighter. I think that had to be sort of trained into me. Yeah. I don't suppose I still am. You know, um, you know, my 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 first, if someone was to sort of start trying to cause trouble, I think my first instinct would be to try and talk, talk my way out of it. But obviously, there comes a situation, and not for a long, long time. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. It, you get yourself into scrapes where there is no talking. But um, thankfully, I haven't had that for a long, long time now. But um, no, I, you know never really a, a fighter as a kid pretty, pretty good boy to be honest yeah so when you joined that boxing gym at eight it was it something that you know as you said you found it a bit difficult to work out but was it something you found enjoyable something you thought yeah this is what this is a place i want to be or was it you know and it is as kids sometimes it's a bit more of a chore than a than an enjoyable uh situation yeah but to, to be honest completely honest with you you know a massive chore for me to go every time and um you know i think my dad encouraged me um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really say pushed me really hard. He did push me at times, but then as I grew up, I think it was strong encouragement rather than yeah. pushing. And uh, a lot of the time, you know, I, unless I went to the gym, I wouldn't have my pocket money. So uh, I, I, I had to go. <laughs> Do you remember that first fight at 10 years of age and where it was? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't remember where it was, but I can remember I boxed a guy called Paul Davis. Uh, we were both 10. He was from Penrice. Um, and I stopped him in the first round, 13 seconds. So, uh, pr pretty good start. How did that feel, the first, the, that first fight, you know, and that first win? Well, it felt great because I can remember, I think, um, I was supposed to have my first fight on two occasions before that, but I think things fell through. And you know what it's like in, in, yeah. in the amateurs. Fighters can pull out and, uh, you know, for no reason. Yeah, or, or bills can fall through or what have you. But uh, third time lucky, uh, and I, um, I stopped him in the, in the first round in 13 seconds. So that's, that's, that's a name and an occasion I can always remember. Brilliant. So you're two amateur clubs, I'm guessing, was quite able to start off. Yeah. Uh, why did you move to Pontypool? Well, um, at the time, um, Tony Williams, you know, great, great amateur coach, um, massive reputation. I, um, I've met Tony. I met Tony yeah. when I was Jack was boxing. Yeah, we went to Sweden for like a, a Welsh select thing that Jack got picked and uh, I met him out there, proper old school, uh, good guy, i got to be honest, got on like house on fire with him. Yeah, he, uh, he's straight, you know, and, and uh, he d doesn't really smile a lot, that's what people say about me, you know, but Tony's exactly the same and, um, you know, Tony, I think Tony brought the best out of me. Um, you know, I had 11 fights with Kai Diva, um, I won six, I lost five of my first 11, but then I went on to have about, Another, I can't remember. It was about 60, 60 or seventy with, with Tony, and I only lost three. Yeah. Any titles in that time? You know. Oh, uh, just a few. Um, yeah. So I won, I won five Welsh schoolboy titles. I won the British schools. Then I won, um, I won three NABC titles Welsh, and then I won, one of the very few to win three, British NABC titles Class A, Class B, Class C. Um, I won the gate. I won the Welsh Youth twice, Gaelic Games gold medals twice. I won the Four Nations Daily Star Golden Gloves twice, gold gold medals in that. I won the Welsh Under 19, I think, twice, and I won European Youth 
gold medal in Italy. Um, so a few a few titles. Um, yeah, just a few. Yeah, just a few. But, now, um, talking about what you've just said there, so you you probably seventy plus amateur fights. Yeah, you know, right from a very young age, right right, right through until you turn pro. And I think um, that set. You know, the one th- that's one thing that I want to see more in MMA, you know, mm-hmm. that you don't see. You have too many guys, they're rushing to turn professional, you know. And um, what I will say, I think the climate has changed quite a bit over the last few years with the the shows like Cage Warriors are giving the amateurs a chance to to shine under the lights and uh, and build that uh, build that record up. But, you know, back back in the early days when I was first involved in MMA, I would have, they probably do one or two amateur fights and they straight in think they make a fight pro. You know, it was very unprofessional in the early days, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Mine's don't get me wrong, it's, it's nothing like it is today. But the one thing I, I, I encourage my amateurs now is to get as many like MMA bouts, as many grappling matches in. If they can get a kickboxing bout, get it in. Because for me, but, you know, and you, you probably found that, it was a smooth transition when you become professional. Yeah, it's all experience, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you know, I, I turned pro young as well. Um, so I turned... how, old, how old was you when you turned pro? I was I was 18 going on 19 when I turned pro. Obviously 19 when I had my first fight. So, um, but I'd had sort of I think it was 78, yeah, and 78 when 70. Um, so, I was seasoned, but not seasoned as a senior because I I think I only had two senior fights. Um, but I had a lot of experience. I had, you know I was I was I had natural power. So I was always I think I was always going to be a step ahead. Um, turning pro than people who couldn't punch because you know yourself, you know, if you've got yeah. that natural power, natural half, power, yeah, it's, yeah. Half, it's half the battle. So, um, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about when it, when it comes to things like that, you know, I, being a, a coach and a manager, you know, I've, I have phone calls off people all the time wanting to turn pro um, and I'll be quite honest and, and not being arrogant at all. I turn a lot more people away than I, than I take on because um, you can't take everybody. And I think probably two thirds of the people that approach you, they're just not ready to turn pro. You know, they haven't yeah. really got their their amateur credentials. They haven't really made their bones, so to speak, in the amateurs. So um, I'd like to see these amateurs having 50, 60, 70 fights. Um, I can remember being, I can remember um, a guy called Ducky Reese, who's two years older than me. He was British schoolboy champion. And um, I think I was 13 and he was 15. And we was at, um, we was at a show. He said, I'm having my... I'm having my 61st fight tonight, and he was only he was only 15, just turned yeah. 15. Yeah. And then yeah. by the time he turned pro, um, I think he had seven fighters a pro. Then packed it in, and he was unbeaten as well. By the time he turned pro, I think he had about 150 fights. And yeah. that's you know, unless unless um, you know, I hear the foreign amateurs, you know, these days having all, all them fights. But that seems to be a thing of the past now. With you know, 100, 150, 200 fights. You can't buy experience, can you either? And I, I, I think you know, for example, as a professional, whether it's in MMA, whether it's in boxing, when you're on that TV, they don't go. There's Gary Lockett. He's um, he was 32 and two, I believe, when he was a as a pro. Yeah, but they yeah. don't talk about your amateur record. Same as you know, if we use old Jack, they don't go. There's Jack Shaw. He was 12 and 0 and am- no, nobody cares about the amateur record. To be honest, once you become the, I say this to everybody, it's not about having. Um, a pristine amateur. I, I take fights sometimes for, for the amateurs and, and I get a bit bit of criticism where they go, oh, it's a little bit too much too soon. I go, it doesn't matter. It's a good learning curve for them. It's a good experience for them. If they got aspirations of becoming a, a top flight professional fighter, these are the types of fights they got to be taking an amateur. But in, in MMA, all too, all too often, they chasing that, you know, um, pro debut, 
you know, it's not like boxing either. A pro debut in in MMA is anything from two hundred and fifty pound on upwards, you know, for a purse. So, yeah. I, I don't see there's a real. It's not like you're having a life changing moment where you're going to get a few mm. thousand pound a fight. So, for for me, um, oh Jack, oh Jack says this well when he does interviews, where he says, "Chase the dream. Don't chase the the glory, the money. Chase the dream. What what's your focus? Are you looking to become a world champion? Are you looking to become a top tier UFC? Are you looking to become a world boxing champion? If you focus on that, everything else comes together. The money, the fame." You know, the nice cars, the nice houses. Don't, don't chase the money. I think sometimes that's why people are a little bit too, too quick. They want to be on the TV. They want to be um, the big name in the lights, you know. And, and I think there's probably a lot of lot of boys, particularly from this area in Wales, that have not fulfilled their potential in that respect because they've not done it the right way. You probably see it all the time as a boxing coach and a manager. Well, I see it all the time as a boxing coach. I mean, what, what you've said there is a very interesting point. I mean, like this is the first thing I say to someone who, who approaches me and doesn't really know a lot about the pro game. I said, if you're looking to make money, then you're in the wrong sport. Yeah. You know, and, and, and regardless of what people believe, I think people believe we're all millionaires. You know, yeah. and yeah. it's just crazy. There's there's no money in, in, in boxing unless you get to a certain level. Yeah. Uh, just the same as MMA. Shape, same you know? as MMA, buddy, yeah. yeah. Same. So, you know... So like I say, these journeymen that are boxing twice a month or three times a month and losing every time, but, you know, they're tough, they go the distance, you know, they lose on points uh, to, a, to a prospect who's 8 or 9-0, and oh, and then they're in the ring again two weeks later, earning their 1,200, 1,500 quid. A guy like that will, will earn far, far more money than a, than a nearly man, a guy that, like, yeah. boxes for the British title but loses yeah, yeah. it and then makes a comeback and boxes for an Intercontinental title. Yeah. Even though he gets a big payday in those title fights, it's a long time in between fights because, yeah. obviously, journeymen are boxing a lot more often. So uh, there's no there's no, there's no no money in boxing uh, unless you get to a certain level. And, yeah. um, you know, as a manager, that's what that's the main thing I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get the best out of the, the, the person, put them in the right fights and try and earn them as much money as as they can they, they can earn before yeah. retiring and hopefully taking something with them. What what year what year was your first pro fight? My first pro fight was ni- my nineteen ninety six. How much uh, you get paid for the first pro fight? And a thousand quid. Thousand pound, yeah. So that Which, wasn't bad. That that's not bad. I mean, even in you know today's climate, you know, you uh, unless you come in with a reputation. Um, mm-hmm. From another art, or you know, you'd be hard pressed to get that as a debut in MMA, full stop. You know, and in boxing, probably in today's day and age, I'm guessing. Yeah. yeah. So you, you've moved from Pontypool. You've had a brilliant amateur career. You've decided to turn pro. Yeah. Um, did you have to change gyms because it's in boxing? I, I believe the amateur gyms can can also coach professional fighters. Is that correct? Well, that's that's the way that it was at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but but. But in saying that and not being disrespectful to anybody, you know, Tony, my, my amateur coach, was that. He was an amateur coach. So, yeah. you know, um, I turned pro with, with John Highland, who, who at the time had a, he had a TV deal with um, ITV. Yeah. So, um, turned pro with John Highland, ended up going up to Liverpool to train yeah. with, um, with kind of the house trainers for, for the John Highland fighters, really. Okay, so where you got, was you travelling up here or you going up here to stay during the week? I'd be up there staying. Um, I'd be staying from Monday to Friday, coming yeah. home on the weekend and, and going back for sort of six weeks. Um, great experience up there. Um, met a lot of great people. I'm a Liverpool supporter, as, as you know, Shane. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm a Liverpool supporter anyway, so got to you know, go, go to a lot of the games. And, and uh, it was just a, a brilliant time up there. Um, and I spent um, 
I think I spent about six or seven years up there. I had a couple of injury problems, um, so I, my career was stop-start until I had about my eighth fight, and then I was um, all, uh, all who, going to Who was the actual coach up there? Uh, Colin Moorcroft. Oh, um, okay. So Colin had um, Andy Aylin, Peter Culshaw, Shane Neary. He, had, he, he trained some, some good, big Liverpool names over the years, oh, yeah. you know, and um, he was a good trainer. Colin, um, I was with Colin until my 16th fight. So, when you say you was Italy 16, what did you come back to Wales to train full time then, or no? I mean, I had in my 16th fight was um, it was the Yuri Sarengo fight. It was on the Calzaghi uh, Brewer undercard, and um, basically been travelling back and forth. I was I was really struggling to make the 11 stone limit, um, and of course, then you know it's a science now, shake, isn't it? You know, yeah, of course it is. Yeah. You know, the, the, the hot baths, the saunas, and you know, the, the toweling them down, covering them over, back in the sauna, cutting your weight, doing the water at the end, and then even before that, then the, the, the proper diet over the over the weeks. Just twenty years ago, I know it's only twenty years, but it just wasn't like that then. You know oh, yourself. I mean, yeah. the weight. I mean, I don't know how you used to do the weight, but I just used to do it the old-fashioned way. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of starving yourself and, and cutting yeah. off your fluids for weeks and weeks and weeks. Yeah. Only, only drinking when you were really, really, really thirsty. And, yeah. you know, if I'd have known then what I know now, geez, you know, I would have made things so much easier for myself. But, yeah. um, so I, I lost that Yuri Sarango fight. And, I mean, I'm never one to make excuses, but, I mean, I, I punched his head in for about six rounds, but then I think I, I fractured... A fraction to the metacarp was in my right hand, and I sprained my my wrist in my left hand, um, and then I have some really bad facial injuries, um, and I was knackered after about six or seven rounds, I think, because of the because the of the But look, you know, it was my own fault. You know, I didn't do things. I, you know, I didn't do things properly. I didn't didn't have the right nutrition, and I ends up um, suffering the consequences. And um, you know, after that, um, I, I did make my comeback with with um with my old coach but he he was training a couple of fighters at the time and um one of the fighters he was able to get some um, accommodation over in the canary islands so colin was going up across with him to do his training camp and of course i was stuck on my own so yeah. um, i spoke to frank warren and frank warren found out about it. he said look you need to find a coach for yourself why don't you try brian hughes over in manchester so um you know brian hughes at the time he had robin, robin reed um Anthony Farnell, Michael Gomez, um, later on Scott Quigg, um, lots and lots and lots of you know very very good fighters um, went over to Brian. Really got on with the guys in the, in, in the gym, and um, I had um, God, sixteen. I think I had about 10, 10 to twelve fights with Brian. Then I won I won the WBU title and and Brian had some good wins. One over Ryan Rhodes as well. Yeah. Um, and that I was with Brian until the last three fights of my career when I I came back home. You, you know, um, one of the questions was your WBU BU title. Yeah. It, it, was that a world title guy? For those that don't follow boxing, right, well, this, this is. I mean, this is something that is always up for debate on on. Um, this is world boxing union title, isn't it? I believe it's it's, it's, it's no more now. Isn't it's because the yeah. president died? And but in back in the day, um, you for me, you know, first and foremost, I'll say. That I earned good money through it. Yeah. Now, if, if I'd have boxed for the British title, because I boxed, I boxed for British title eliminator, not, not long beforehand. Now, if I'd have boxed for the British title, um, it would have been let's say fifteen grand. Okay. Um, I got off the WBU title shot, and it was double that money. Yeah. You know, so I was a kid yeah. trying to 
earn as much money as I yeah, could. Yeah. So I took the WPU. Um, but was it was it a um, was it a world title? I never considered myself to be a world champion. To me, it was a stepping stone because obviously, like Enzo Macronelli, he was WPU champion. Ricky Hatton won the WPU title as well. Yeah. So there was lots of good names that won the WPU title that went on to win proper world titles. You know, I, when I say proper world titles, I'm talking WPC, WBO, yeah, WBA, IBS. Yeah, yeah. They are the four main ones, aren't they? Yeah. That's right. So you know, looking back on my career now, you know, um, obviously, I wish that I won a. Um, a prestigious title like a British title or a Commonwealth title, EPU title. Um, but at the time, you make the decision, you know, you make the decision go with the money at the time. And, um, you know, I had some good wins with it, with, with the WBU. And, um, you know, do I have any regrets? Not really. But the only regrets is that, you know, I, I wish that I could, you know, look back and say, I won the British title or yeah. I won, I won the EBU title. But, yeah. um, it's by the by, isn't it? You know, I earned some good money. You know, you're a professional fighter. You're exactly, it's professional. You, you, your job is to earn man, as much money as possible in the sport, you know. Of course. So, yeah. You know, you, you, I'm, I'm guessing you was married then as well at the time, yeah? Uh, I was married, not, not, not at first. I got married, um, I got married in 2007. I had to think then. She'd kill yeah. me, couldn't she? Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, 2007. So I won the WBU title in 2006. I got married in 2007. So, but were you, but were you uh, with your wife then at the time? Yes, I was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's what I mean. You know, you you you've got to look at. You know, somebody said, "Well, come and fight for a British title for X, but you can get YZ for the WBU as a professional. You're going to follow the money. You know, that's. You know, you've got to put food on the table, pay the mortgage, and all these things. As we said, you know, you, it, it's about. Getting the best living you can and getting up the sport with all your all your faculties and partners. Well, that's that's funny enough. Funnily enough, that the, the very two sentences you said there and what we've just been talking about. I mean, we're on we're on a group on Facebook, um, the Xboxers group, and um, there's a guy on there, uh, or he isn't on there anymore. He got um, took off there last week. Someone was talking about one of the guys I previously mentioned up in Liverpool, Peter Culshaw. Now he won the WBU and he won the WBS. Now, he had some good wins, some really tough wins for those title fights. Now, he was getting 25, 30, 35 grand for them, them title fights, you know. And someone put up, uh, it was like profile, Peter Culshaw. He won the Commonwealth title, he won the WBF, he won the WBU, and he beat this and he beat that. And the guy went, yeah, but they're worthless. Now, it's an, it's an ex-boxers group where... Yeah you're all supposed to be on the same side. Yeah. There's not supposed to be any trolls. I don't think he was being a troll. I think he was just being a bit direct. Yeah. But anyway, he got into a, you know, I put something on there. I just said, look, I said, it's all very well them being mean in this, but Peter beat some very good names in those title fights. He, he earned some good money and they were big fights at the time in Liverpool, in good venues in Liverpool, because I was on the undercards. So, you know, I, I don't see that, that they're mean in this. You know, how many WBU or WBF titles have you won? I said, yeah, yeah. So there was so many people hitting him at the time. He, he just got took off the group because he was deemed as being disrespectful because the replies he was giving people were disrespectful. And, um, you know, in a way, they were meaningless. But I just think that, you know, when you, when you win these titles and when you're, you're earning good money from them, and a, lot of, you, and a lot of work gone into it as well. A lot of work sacrificed to get to that moment, isn't it? Well, of course. I mean, whether it would have been um, a WBC title fight or a WBU title fight, my preparation probably wouldn't have changed. It would have been exactly. the same because at the end of the day, you're training for the opponent that you're going to fight, aren't you? So Yeah. 
So going back to your pro career, you, 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 a lot of your, your career was in Manchester, Liverpool, yeah. uh, away from your home, home. What was the reason? Was there no quality professional clubs around at the time? Or they were, but there was nobody your weight? What, what was your reasons for, for, for that? You know, because... Just curious, because at the moment, you know, I would have said ten years ago in Wales, it was the same. If you wanted to excel in MMA, you had to travel around to, to, to get the quality coaching, to get the quality sparring. Whereas now yeah. we've got a real hot bed at the moment. But um, what was the reasons for that? Well, when I first turned pro in nineteen ninety six, obviously I turned pro with John Highland. Um, he was a Liverpool based promoter, um, and they had a good team of fighters up there. So I ended up just going away to train. Um, they, he said, try try a couple of the trainers up there. And I, I guess that's just the way it went. There was no yeah. reason for not turning pro in Wales. Um, uh, but then when you think back, you know, we don't we, we get overlooked a lot of the time. It must be the same in MMA as well, yeah. you know. And yeah, yeah. You know, we get we're, we're an afterthought, you know. So if I think we're very unfashionable is a word. We're very I think. unfashionable. I mean, yeah. look, if there's a if there's a if if there's a British if there's a British title fight and someone needs an opponent and there's a Welsh guy and there's a guy from London. The guy from London's always going to get that chop before the yeah. last guy. Yeah, yeah. And now, yeah. now, people might go, "Oh, you're talking a load of rubbish." Well, I'm not talking a load of rubbish because I've seen it time and time and time and time yeah. again over the years. Yeah. Um, you know, London fighters, Manchester fighters. You know, it's not a dig at them. It's just the way it is. Well, you know, it is. They're yeah. always, it's, they're always more fashionable than what the Welsh fighters or Scottish fighters are. Maybe fighters from the southwest as well. You know, down in Bristol and, and the southwest. Yeah. Um, then. At the moment, I think you know Newcastle up there, around that area, that's struggling. There's 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 a couple of small hall promoters up there, but um, uh, I think it's only recently now, like Eddie Hearn and Frank Warren have started going up there. But I think there was a big lull for a long time up there. Norwich, that area, big lull there. You know, where the where the, the big promoters don't go there. So, you know, there's there's unfashionable areas everywhere. You know, it's not just Wales or Scotland. Yeah, yeah, areas in England as well. All I'm saying is that. Um, the London fighters, they always seem to be uh, top of top yeah. of the top of the, the list, don't they? Well, um, you know, fa- thankfully we've turned the corner in Wales. We've got some real high profile lads now, which have led the way. We've had numerous world champions in different organisations. Four boys in the UFC. You know, we got Lou Long in the in Bellator, fighting at the highest possible point of their careers now. But I I agree, and I I always used to say in interviews years ago that with forgotten nation. You know, um, I think a lot of my fighters would have had a UFC call a lot sooner if they were fighting out of a, a high-class gym in London or Manchester, if I'm honest with you. Yeah. Same with the Swansea lads, Brett and John Phillips. I think they'd have had the call a lot sooner if they'd been at a, a much more fashionable or high-profile gym. Um, but I, I think thanks to Cage Warriors in particular have invested into Wales and, you know, through the... the the social media side of it, you know, they've made stars out of Marshman, Brett, um, our Jack, you know, what? if you'd said to me six, seven years ago, we'd have had a Welsh fight to sell out the ice arena for an MMA event, I would have laughed at you. But, yeah. you know, through through the right fights, the right promoting, the right exposure, we've, we've managed to get there. So fingers crossed, we have turned the corner with that respect. But for way too many years, I felt like John Phillips and Marshman in particular, they could have been signed way before they actually did. Their records and their knockout ratio, if they had been at any high-profile gym in the UK, apart from my little gym up in Blainer, I believe they would have been they would have been set up. So we spoke about your reasons of, you know, just that's just how it, how it fell due to the promoter treat. 
you came back, you just said a bit earlier, you came back to Wales End for your last few fights, yeah? Where, yeah. where did you train when you came back? I uh, went, approached um, Enzo Calzaghi. Yeah. And I went there for the last three fights of my career. Yeah. So, you know, pr probably um, the, the link with Enzo and Joe made that gym for quite quite a period, you know, because you had quite a few high-profile guys there yourself. Um, Enzo Macrelli was training out of there, Gavin Reese. Probably at that point was probably the most high-profile gym in in Wales, would it be fair to say that? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Hundred yeah. uh, percent. I mean, if if uh, not Britain, if not uh, Britain, because um, obviously, um, you know, he, he went on to have three world champions there. Yeah. Obviously, Joe's world champion for for a long time, and then when I got there, Enzo had just won the WBO as well. Yeah. And, uh, Gavin then went on to, to to win the WBA title against Suleiman Mbai not long after. So. Um, and it was a, it was it was a brilliant gym at the time. Three world champions that's unheard of. Yeah. Did you enjoy your time there? Yeah, I enjoyed parts of it, but I think you know I'd fallen out of love with boxing you know a long time before that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I I lost that one fight, and then I had a couple of injury problems, and then I had a couple of problems with with my promoter and, and whatnot. Things not going the way that I should have, I thought they should have. And then um, I started um, I started buying a few properties out, outside of boxing then. So. I saw, I saw that I could earn money in different ways as well. Yeah. Um, so I sort of felt I, I I didn't hate boxing, but I fell out in love with it a little bit. I think, yeah. don't think I was committed as what I sh I should have been, you know. Yeah, yeah, and, and that happens, guy. When you when you're doing something like you are from the age of eight years of age, there's a lot of sacrifice, lots of you know nights in when your friends are out partying as a young man. You know the fitness. And, your mates are going out when you're in school and you've had to go down to the gym with the old man because you've got a fight coming up, you know. And people don't, you know, unless you're involved in the, in the sports, whether it be MMA, people don't see the side of it. They just see the bright lights and, oh, there's Gary Lockett on the TV, you know. He, he's living the life. and You're not living the life. It's, it's, I say to everybody, it's a hell of a, it's a hell of a tough life. Don't get me wrong, the financial roads and everything else, but the sacrifices that a fighter like yourself or, or a top-level MMA fighter have got to do to to get to where they need to be, people don't see that. You've, right. got, you've got, you've got to love it, Rich. You know, you've yeah. got to love it. And I don't think I ever loved it. Um, you know, I, I liked it and I had a lot of success because of my power. Um, yeah. you know, I, geez, I boxed for the, the undisputed world titles. Um, I got, I got very far. I think if I could have taken that when I turned pro, yeah. you know, if, if someone said that I would have taken it. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, given there were so many things went wrong, um, I got myself out of many, many scrapes with my power, yeah. you know, uh, you know, killed myself to make weight or perhaps, you know, wasn't as dedicated as I could, as I could have been, as I pre previously mentioned with the, my diet and end up losing two or three rounds and then bang, fights all over. You yeah. Know, got yourself out of jail with, yeah, um, yeah. with your power. And I always had that get out of jail card with my power. So, um, even though um, you know I, I box for the world titles, it's, it's quite disappointing that maybe I never won a, a legitimate one for myself. Who, who's the best coach you actually trained under? I, you know, listen, they're all good in their yeah. own way. You know, they're all very good in their own way. But um, you know, I have to, I just have to go back to my old amateur coach. Um, as I'm not just talking about the, the best coach, I'm just talking about who taught me about everything. You know, yeah. um, he disciplined me in, in life outside of the ring. Um, and he and he showed me most of the things that I know in you know inside the ring, and yeah. uh, he kept my feet on the ground more more than you know because I think at one point I think I won 
something like 28 on the trot with 27 knockouts, I think it was. And, you know, I could have been shouting from the rooftops. I could have been the loudest man in the room, but yeah, he never yeah. let... He this never is let Tony. Me. Tony, yeah? Yeah, Tony never okay. let me be the loud, loudest man in the room. I always had to keep my, my feet on the ground. But having said that, you know, my dad always made sure of that as well. So yeah. as, much as, as much as Tony was, you know not just a coach to me, but he was, he was a good friend to me as well. I also had the, the stability of having a, a, a solid, a solid set of parents as well to keep my feet on the ground. So they, you know, they go, they, they have as, as much credit. Um, Tony has as much credit as my parents, you know, oh, not quite as much as my parents, but I'm just turning my phone on the side because I need to put it on charge. Rich. Oh, really? right? But so, yeah, you know, in answer to your question, I think I've gone a long way around it. Um, the, the coach I got, you know, I'd have to go back to Tony Williams, but but all the coaches I had, you know, Colin Moorcroft, um, Brian Hughes, and, and Enzo Calzaghi, God rest his soul. Um, yeah. Obviously, very very fantastic coaches in their own right, and you know, Enzo, three world champions in the gym at, at the same time. That just speaks volumes, doesn't it? In, in a small little valley town like Newbridge as well, you know, training out of a shed pretty much, wasn't it? The old um, the, the old shed outside the rugby ground down there, you know. At first, I, I, yeah, at first, and then. Uh, they and went then into the old rugby club, wouldn't they? Yeah, the old Newbridge Rugby Club then, wasn't it? They were down oh, there. Cumcan, was it? Cumcan, sorry, yeah, Cumcan. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, it's quite nice. We went down there a couple of, about two years ago. Um, I put a couple of my young lads into one of one of Joe's boys, um, run a, like a charity boxing event. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we went down and, you know, just, just for, for the kids to see the gym, really. And it, it's, it's a nice little facility down there. They've got the ring, all the bags, mm. all, all the memorabilia there, which is nice for the, you know, the youngsters were... Yeah. A little bit, uh, you know, in awe when they were looking around and I'm not, it's, it's, a, it's a nice little place. Absolutely um, fantastic, yeah, because um, obviously, you know, uh, you think of all the, the fantastic fights that they all trained for in there. Yeah. Um, and the legacy that Joe has left, you know, is, um, is absolutely massive. With them, um, talking about coaches, like people say to me, you know, who's the best coach in the world? And I, and I don't think you can pick the best coach guy. And you, you, you know, I speak to you because you... Like, like myself, you've got a lot of fighters, you've been doing it a long time. I say to everybody, there's a best coach for you. Mm. Now, what might tick all my boxes and somebody that might get me motivated might have the opposite effect on somebody that I've trained with all my life because their personalities don't, don't fit as well, you know. So um, I'm a great believer, you know, there's not one person who goes, this, this coach would be um, a coach of world champions, the matter who goes there. Because sometimes the, the, the fit isn't always there, isn't it? Would you, would you say that's fair in boxing as well? You, you know, you found that with your experience over the years? I just think, you you know, you have to find the best coach for you, don't you? And, yeah. um, you know, yeah. one size doesn't fit all. I mean, I think I fit most when it, I think I'm, I've got a general, very good understanding of, of boxing and the way to deal with people. But, you know, sometimes you get a personality that comes in and, he's, and, and you just don't quite click. You don't yeah. quite get on with yeah. each other. And it doesn't matter how good a coach you are or how much that guy learns off you. If he doesn't like you or like your attitude, then he isn't going to take anything in. Um, I've had that on two occasions um, where they thought they were right and they were wrong. And mm. um, it's, it's just the way it is. You know, you're not, one size doesn't fit all. No, I, perhaps, I don't like a, perhaps I don't like someone that comes in. Perhaps they're in trouble all the time. Perhaps, they, you know, perhaps they've got a bad attitude. Perhaps they treat their parents with disrespect. Yeah, anything like that, I'm not going to like, you know. So I like I like nice, respectful kids, and um, I can say that 95% of the fighters that I've ever trained have all been respectful kids, nice, yeah. respectful kids. Yeah. And, and 
you know, you're cut from the same cloth as me, guy. You're, you're pretty old school, your morals and all the rest of it. But for me, I say this to everybody, it, it, it's just as important for me what type of man we make, not just the fighter, what type of person they are, the way they carry this out, the way they are in public, the way they are, as you said, how do they speak to their parents, how are they with their wife, you know. For, for, for me, it's as important for me to create these young lads and, and, and turn them into decent men as, as it is, you know, which would you prefer? Do you, do you want a, a world champion who's a complete ass, or do you want a, a good clubman who's a really good bloke? I take the clubman who's a really good bloke and is willing to give you 100% every day of the week. You know, and pe- people sometimes call me and I go, "Oh, shut up! You take the world champion." No, I wouldn't take the world champion mm. because I don't think we'd get to that point because I'd be kicked out of the gym by that by that point if they yeah, no, their attitude was poor. No, that's a, that, again, that's an interesting point. It's, it's about what you um, it's about what you believe, it's, and, and the old school in me wouldn't put up with that. You know, yeah. and, and this, I don't like. I don't like all this shouting your mouth off and and calling people out, calling people effing and blinding and cunt. And I don't yeah. like all that. I like I like people to be respectful because I just think if you're nice and you're respectful, people will like you. And then if you do get beat, you know, the worst thing in the world for me, you know, someone goes mouthing off and pushing people's faces and bloody, you know, causing causing a ruckus in every single press conference, and then they get beat. And what what do they look like then? Yeah, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up for a fall, you know. I and we used to see it with Nassim, didn't we? Nassim yeah, Hamid Nassim. Uh, used to get away with it so often, didn't you? Eubank Senior was another one, wasn't it? You know, that lo- the crowd loved to hate them, you know, and they'd sell. I remember Nazim coming to uh, Cardiff to fight Steve Robinson. I, I had front row tickets. Um, me and a, a friend of mine, Terry Evans, went down. And you could genuinely feel the hatred towards him. I don't know if he was it. Was he on that card? God, did he fight that down there no, for that? That was, that was before my time. Before, well, he yeah. brought him out on like this, um, like a cherry picker cream. Yeah. He came out and he's dancing. And honestly, it was bottles whizzing past his head. The, 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 there was racist chants going off. I've never. Well, it would have been at that time, or the racist abuse at that time would have been oh. unbelievable, wouldn't it? And um, he's gone in. He, he's he's just boxed. Sublimely, and you know, he smashed Steve Robinson. You know, and Steve was a good, uh, you know, a good world champion. But you know, he just did what he did. But good God, you know, the hatred towards him. But I'm looking around, and the place is sold out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, so I, I get it. But look, perhaps, perhaps I'm a fossil. Perhaps we're fossils. Perhaps that is the way to do it. You know, and um, you know, shout, shouting, shouting at people, and, and calling people names and stuff like that. You know, are we fossils when we say that's or, not the way to do it? Or you know. can look at the opposite way. You look in boxing terms, you know, you've never seen Joe Kazagi stood there shouting from the rooftops no. today, you know, being no. a, our, our Jack has, has made a real name for himself and he's probably one of the, you, you know, you, you coach him guy and you know him as well as anyone. He's as humble and as quiet a kid as, but he's the most determined fighter I've ever coached, you know, but I don't think there is a need for it. I think if it's, if it's natural, like, for example, Conor McGregor, you know, Floyd Mayweather, they're naturals. You watch them, same as Nazim back in the day, and as much as you dislike it or whatever, you fixated with it, you know, and yeah. it creates an interest with you. But you see so many fighters today, you've seen Conor McGregor become a multi-millionaire star, and Floyd Mayweather, and think, I'm going to follow that path. It's not natural. And you, the, the general public and our daft, they know when they're watching somebody talk, whether, i give an example, uh, young Oban has started training with you from my gym, right? He's got the gift of the gab. He, he, he reels it, but it's so flawless with him. So it'll work for him. But if I try to take some of his terminology, give it to our Jack, it just would not be, it would not be, it would It would feel fake. You know what I'm saying? It's, um, well, it goes so, back to what you were saying earlier, Rich, doesn't it? About, 
you know, when one coach doesn't fit all, you have to yeah. see these guys like they're individuals. And, yeah. and, and by trying to take something away from someone, then perhaps you're going to affect their game, aren't you? So, yeah. um, but with Oban, I, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's, it's nasty. It's, it's kind of a sarcastic. Standing cheeks, trail selling, um, banter more than anything, you know, and he gets attention from it. But he, he's very good at what he does, Oban. You know, he, he can sell. I mean, he's three and and he's as well known as anybody in that division. You know, if if you said to anybody in the UK. Name me five like weeks out the the Cage Warriors roster. They would name him every time, yeah. you know. And, and his guys in there were probably, you know, five six times the amount of fights that wouldn't get a mention. So he, he's you know, and he's unbeaten. So he's doing something right. He's doing something right. Yeah. Um. Couple of questions coming in. What is who is the best fighter you've trained with or sparred with? Who's the best uh, the best fighter you've trained as a, as a fighter, not as a coach? Now we'll come on to that in a bit. When you were a fighter, who was the best that you trained with? Uh, well, just easily Joe Calzaghi. Joe Calzaghi, yeah. Um, I mean, Joe was well, Joe was the type of guy um, I could hold my own with most that I sparred with. Yeah, he was the type of guy you just had to get in there and look after yourself. Yeah, <laughs> that's that. I think that's the highest compliment you can pay anybody. You know, what What was so could, good about Joe, guy? You know, he was up close in training. You know, what What was it? Everything. I mean, you know, he was an elite fighter, number one. Um, yeah. So, you know, I would have been like that against any elite fighter, you know, um, just looking after myself. Yeah. You can't really hope to go with your own game plan and have success. You just have to wait for the shots and look after yeah. yourself. I think, is you know, everything about him is jab um, and his reaction time. You know, he'd be, he'd be jabbing. He'd be waiting for you to come back with your own jab. And then as soon as you jab or throw a shot, he has you a one or two. Yeah. Um, and his footwork was very good. His work weight was, was brilliant. People say that um, uh, people say that he couldn't punch and that he slapped. Well, at times, I think it looked like he was slapping. But by the time the punch got to the target, obviously he was hitting with his... Is yeah, not, yeah. He, he obviously wasn't slapping. Yeah, I yeah. Think he, I think when he had bad hands, I think he started trying to protect his hands by yeah, yeah. a lot of shots. Like, a lot of the time, it, it, people said it looked like slaps, but Jesus, look what he did. To, you know, there's an old saying where he did to Jeff Lacey. He yeah. must have slapped him 1,100 yeah. times in 12 <laughs> rounds. So, and they certainly didn't feel like slaps when I sparred him, you know. And, um, yeah. uh, you know, he was... He was Probably the best fighter that's um, ever come out of, uh, of of Wales, and and definitely the best British fighter of our generation. Yeah, yeah, I, I you know, I, I say this to everybody. I, I feel he's he's the best, particularly from our generation. You know, in as much he was undefeated. You know, and, and and he got a bit of criticism didn't he early on about not taking fights in the states, but he was selling out. You know, stadiums. You know, in in Wales and and in. Um, you know, around the UK, and for me, he fought everyone they put in front of him. I mean. And done a number on everybody, you know. Um, I think, you know, it's an argument that the greatest British fighter of all time even, couldn't he? You know, he could be put into that bracket. Yeah, and of course, you know, you know how many retired unbeaten? Yeah. You know, there's, there's yeah. very few retired unbeaten, especially, what, I think he was 47 and I, wasn't he? And yeah. um, I think 20-odd title defences. And then the last two fights of his career, he beat Hopkins. Yeah. He went on to win titles and, at light heavy. And, and, when, when and, and Hopkins has, has continued probably for 10 years after, after, isn't he? You know, he's yeah, continued. Exactly. Years, exactly. Yeah. 
and Roy, and, a, and a Roy Jones who was past his best, but wasn't quite shot. And and obviously Jock dropped Joe in the first round as well. And yeah, and, um, I, I remember um, I was commentator for BBC Radio Wales in, in Madison Square Garden yeah. when he went down. I'm like, oh my god! But, um, <laughs> but he managed it. He, he got up and 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 and, and bossed the rest of the fight, didn't he? But um, you know, two two very good career victories against two massive names at the end of his career so yeah. um, you know he, he finished off really good and as I say you know in, in my mind he's the best British fighter of our generation I, I got a story about um, Joe Kazai when I was 16 I went to Crosskeys College and uh, Joe was there for a couple of weeks when the when the term started you know don't know why he was down because he, he, he so I remember sitting down at the table we were doing he was doing a course with a friend of mine and um I'm not going to stay. He says I'm, I'm the hottest prospect in British boxing. He was like 16 year old kid then, you know. I go, yeah, all right. So he's going on about this boxing. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I didn't think a lot of it at the time. And I remember saying it was a, a PE teacher they called Di Reese. I don't remember Di Reese. He's a rugby player for Newbridge outside uh, fullback. I think he was good level rugby. Yeah. And I'm going, that Joe Joe boy. I said um, he's going to be the hottest prospect in boxing. I said he hasn't stopped talking. He goes, oh, he's full of shit. He said, take no notice of him. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then about a year later, I went to um, uh, a, you remember the Starless Nightclub in Ask? Yes, Starless. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I went there to a boxing do, and yeah. um, I think he was just like finishing off his, and he just absolutely schooled this lad in a in an amateur boxing bout, and then he turned pro. So, uh, Diary said that one wrong, but yeah, I remember sitting there thinking, oh, he sounds like he's full of shit, but uh, how wrong was we were. Against, was that Wales against Ireland? Pop, pop. I went to a couple there to be honest, guys. So I was, listen, my memory and what it was, but like yourself, you know, being knocked about a few times. But uh, it was in the, the Starless nightclub in Ask, uh, yeah, George, or Sa yeah. Savas nightclub, it was Savas, called. Yeah. Was Savas, we, yeah. we used to have boxing bills there all the time. I'm in a boxing bill yeah. all the time, you know, and it was um, good memories from that place. Right. To, to, fin to finish off on your, your fighting career before we talk about your coaching, um, Interesting me, I'm like doing a bit of research on your on your, on your title fight. You lost the, to, to Pavlik, wasn't it? But yeah. your words after, and you've already touched on it, was I've never been a lover of boxing, you said in the interview after, you know, when you retired. So was that just like an, an accumulation of all the years of sacrifice you come to this point thinking, as you said earlier, I'm just not enjoying this sport no more and I'm going to walk away while I'm still got my faculties in place. Um, I've got a cracking record. I, I've got a, a good reputation. I'm going to leave while I'm on top. Yeah, I think so. All the years of um, just getting let down, I suppose, in, in different things, title fights being promised, not materialising, yeah. training your training your ass off for nothing, you know, for weeks and weeks and weeks, and then things, you know, things fall through. Um, you just have enough of it. You know, some people carry on going, but just have enough of it. And um, I just thought after that, just go and do something else. You know, I had a small property portfolio, so I thought I'd, you know, go into that. Um, and then uh, just moving on a little bit, it wasn't long after that um, I started. I started coaching and, uh, and found that I really enjoyed it. But what, what led you to, you know, what led to that point? What, what it was always in the back of your mind as a fighter. You'd like to do some coaching? No, not really. As I say, I, you know, I was I was gonna um, gonna start um, developing my property property portfolio, um, and uh, which, which I did. Uh, hit a few problems, but um, I had a Ricky Owen from. Swansea, he approached me and asked me would I help him out. So I started helping him out, and um, it just went from there, really. And then yeah. I had a couple of other fighters approach me, 
Um, and then a year later, Gavin Reese approached me as well. So um, to be honest, you know, Gavin was Gavin was the guy that really gave me the platform to to show a little bit what I could do. Um, yeah. And um, you know, it, 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 you might agree with me, Rich. You know, once you've got a championship fighter in the gym, then other fighters start yeah. flocking to yeah, the gym. Agree. You know, agree. and I think that's the way it is in, in in boxing gyms all around Britain. Yeah. Yeah. What with um. Talking to Gav, you know, but but you were also a key, I think, turning point in turning his career around as well. Going back to finding that right coach for you, and I think um, when he did partner up with you, you know, when I whenever I speak to Gav, he's got nothing but praise for you as a coach. Mm. And I, I think he found that right mix. He found somebody because I think Gav's one of these does need a little bit of a disciplinary and looking after him as well. He can be a little bit wild on times, can he? And maybe lack a bit of motivation sometimes, whereas I think you're the type of guy, you, you, you've got your standards and you don't let it slip regardless of who you are. Would, would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think that's fair to say, but let's not forget, you know, Gavin was a world champion before he came to me, you know, yeah. and you know, he'd been with Enzo from from the age of, again, uh, similar to me, from the age of eight, you know, so Enzo, he won he won everything with Enzo. Yeah. Um, was Gav with you for Price Fighter or with Enzo? Was he with... No, he was with Enzo with Price Fighter. Price Fighter. And then... Um, he fancied a change then after prize fighter and uh, and asked me. I phoned Enzo basically to to run it past him and Enzo said, Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. So um, you know, uh we had some we had some good times together, myself and Gav, and uh, obviously we're still good mates now. Yeah, yeah. Um eleven fights together and uh and he won the British and the and the European titles as well and and fought Adrian Broner in, in America for the WBC title. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. What um so you started coaching, where were you based out of Gav when you started? It was based in Ponderclean, little gym in Ponderclean. Ponderclean, yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, how many how many pros have you got training with you at the moment? At the moment, um oh, I think about six or seven at the moment. Um, yeah. but I manage a few more than that. Yeah. Um, a couple of the boys I I train um, they are managed by a mate of mine in London that we work closely together. Um, but I manage a few of the guys I, I train as well. Plus, yeah. I manage a couple of guys that other people train. Yeah. So how long have you been coaching? Um, so since 2009 now. Two, so 11th year now then, yeah? Yeah, that's right. 11th year. So obviously, probably, would you say Gav's probably the, the most high profile? Well, Gavin, um, Gavin, yeah, he was high profile. Um, obviously, Angel Macronelli as well. Oh, Enzo Tree, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I, 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 I listened to a podcast with Enzo last week, funny enough, or about yeah. the week before, and um, he said he'd like to have one last hurrah, you know, one, one more fight, and he'd like it to be in Swansea. And yeah. they touched on me, and he, he said, oh, there'd only be one person, I'd be, it would be Gary, would be... He said, I know enough to do my own bits, but a couple of times a week I'd be done with Gary, and Gary would be my head coach for the camp. So yeah. have you spoken to him any more on that? Is, is that something that's still a possibility once this madness is all finished? Well, we had a conversation about it um a couple of times uh you know i think there's a there's a lot of bad press when it comes to people saying you know he shouldn't be having it it was 50th fight or he shouldn't be having this he shouldn't he's not looking for a run he's just looking for one he more said fight. this yeah he said because he's, he's um he's fit he had 50 amateur fights as well didn't he so he said this would round it off to 100 fights career-wise and 50 and 50 and mm. you know Enzo is one of the the most loved boxers I think in Wales. You know, he's, he's a character outside of the 
uh, you know, I love watching him on Twitter. I, I, could, I could read his tweets all day. You know, he enjoys a bit of the banter and the trolling, doesn't he? But he's one of these guys, you know, who's who's fought at the, at the top level, being a world champion. And I'd love to see, you know, why not? Why not give him one final hurrah in Swansea in front of his own people and, and, and give him that fight? Well, this is this is the thing, and uh, we've been in we've been in discussions, and uh, I think it would have it would have probably happened this summer if it had not been for this this pandemic. But um, you know, as, as I keep saying to people, he's not looking for a run. Yeah, we've just we just established that he's looking just to have his fiftieth fight, and then he said that'll be one and done. He said on this podcast. Yeah, right. we... So um, yeah, so Gavin, Enzo, Enzo Mack, um, then obviously Liam Williams. Liam Williams, yeah. Um, um, just thinking of the champions. I have four British champions. Nick Blackwell as well. He's Nick, yeah. champion with me. Um, Chris Jenkins, who was absolutely mad as a box of frogs. And um, yeah. listen, you need you need him in the gym all the time. He just makes makes everyone laugh so much. You know. Yeah. And, uh, I think he's your version of Chris Edwards from what old Jack have said. Oh, he's probably mad, more mad than him, definitely. <laughs> um, but um, but then look, you know, got got a lot of good kids coming through as well. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, always, always laughing and joking in the gym. You know, everybody says that I don't smile. Well, the boys can't understand that because uh, we're always taking a mission and uh, messing around. I, I've been in your company lots and lots of times, and we have a great laugh, don't we? You know, we've had a few trips together and whatnot. But uh, do you mind if I touch on the Nick Black? Well, obviously, tough time for you as a coach. You know, after mm. after the fight with um with Eubank, and I, I remember watching. Watching an interview with you, I can't remember watched or I've read an interview, and you, and you had said like this has been the toughest few weeks of my life, you know. Um, and you were thinking about walking away from the sport at the time. Mm. Um, Nick's obviously, you know, doing well now. I, I've, I've I've seen him. Um, he's not boxing again, but you know, he's fit, fit and well guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, obviously that um, that first episode with Eubank Junior. There was obviously a second episode then, wasn't there, where he went, um, he went back to training. I mean, yeah, uh, and it actually happened. Um, it happened about four days before all the boys were fighting, and um, I kept it away from the boys. But what he'd done, see, Nick loved. He was one of these kids. He loved boxing. He lived for boxing. He couldn't imagine life without boxing. So yeah. after the Eubank fight, he made a full recovery. Um, he used to come up to our gym. Once, maybe twice a week, you know, training. You know, we go for something to eat then after training. Just mix it with the boys. He loved mixing with the boys. But at no point does a man with a brain injury ever spar. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I can remember that um, the one morning, uh, I can remember texting him. It was about half eight. It was before I dropped my, my son to school. And I said, you coming up today? Yeah, I'll be up. I'll be up. Um, I'll see you at half eleven. Now, in the time then that um, I took my son to school and I was on the way to the gym, he phoned me. He said, oh, I can't come today. I forgot I've got a view of property. Um, so I put two and two together. He's had a phone call for sparring. Oh, I know. Yeah. Agreed to go and spar in this gym down in um, Devizes, down by Whitchurch. Uh, not Whitchurch. Um, Trowbridge. Trowbridge in um, Trowbridge, in Yeah. 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 And uh, so he's, he's gone down there and sparred and, and, and gone over and uh, ended up twice as bad as what it was yeah. the first time. So, um, unfortunately, he didn't make a 100% recovery. Um, he's in good health, don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah. But, um, 
and he's happy. He's got a he's got a girlfriend now, and um, she's got a son. So he's he's, he's really happy at the moment. And uh, it's just a shame he did what he did that that that, that second time going and sparring. Which, yeah. Um, uh, which, uh, you know, to you and me, that would and and to the general public, it would seem idiotic. But I just no, think Liv, Nick just loved it that much. He just couldn't he couldn't stand to be away from it. Sometimes you've got to say fighters from themselves, you know. Hence why he probably never mentioned to you that he was going sparring because he know he'd have been, he'd have had a, a strip tour off him. I'm guessing that as well, you know. But yeah, some, sometimes you know, you you see it a lot, don't you? Where not just in fighting, professional sportsmen, footballers, boxers, snooker players, even you know, where they finish their career. And they and they lost. There's a There's big a void, void. Isn't it? There's, There's a, a void, you know. They end up depressed, turn into drink, turn into drugs. There's so many, so many stories that you you can reel off, you know, about famous sportsmen that have had it all, and then bang, that void is in. And, and for Nick, it probably come a bit prematurely due to the um, due to the injury with the fight, and then obviously not, you know, not not being sensible and going sparring. But um, I'm glad I'm glad he's doing all right and uh, he's happy enough. Yeah, he's keeping in contact yeah. with you, guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're in contact. Yeah, definitely. T- tough, tough moment for you as a coach, well, because um, I've been there sometimes, and you think, oh, yeah, is it is it worth it? You know, but then the positives always far outweigh any any sort of negatives that come into our sports. I believe. Yeah, I think so. I think you know some of the nights that I've had, um, you know, they probably eclipse my most successful nights as yeah. a doctor. But you, you know, take just and, as much and, from it. But in a, in a different way, if you yeah. understand. I mean, you know, obviously your, your own your own uh, nights are very personal to you. Um, but but some of these nights, like when 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 Chris Jenkins won the British title, yeah, um, you know, I, I I could have screamed from the rooftops. Yeah. You know, I was just yeah. so proud, and yeah. you know, he'd had so many opportunities and so much bad luck and nothing going his way, and um, he was he was going to pack it in about two months before. Uh, three months before, and I, I managed to convince him just to keep giving it. I said, we'll get an opportunity, and then we managed to get this uh, this opportunity against Johnny Garton for the British welterweight title, and it was, of course, it was a weight above what he fought. You know, he, he normally fought at 10 stone. This was at 10-7, and um, he had a good camp, and, and he, won. he won. He won well, and, you know, nights like that, nights like Enzo when he beat Roy Jones over yeah. in, I know it was obviously, you know, it was, it was a Roy Jones was well past his best. It wasn't the victory. It was just the trip that we had. Sometimes you go on a trip. It's just such a good yeah. trip. Yeah. The fight tops it all off. Yeah. You know, um, you know, again, Nick Blackwell beating John Ryder. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jay Harris. Jay Harris beating Paddy Barnes in, 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 in Belfast. And then even when he lost in, in Texas, um, going back a couple of months ago, you know, it was... He came out of the fight because nobody gave him a chance to do anything. He came out of the fight and everybody going, Jesus, this kid is really, really good, you know. So even in defeat, he gained, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, there's so many, so many fantastic nights and uh, uh, too many to mention. As you said there, you lost, but gained. So sometimes the performance can outweigh the result, can't it? You know, I, I've had that a few times where... I've had a lot more phone calls and tweets and messages on Facebook about a fight that that's lost about but has put in... A real good performance, a real solid dogged performance against somebody who's gone in and blitzed somebody in a round or two, you know. So, you know, there's always positives. There's always learning to be pulled out of the defeats. Yeah, I think so. It was another one we had. Um, I can remember Dale Evans. He was another one in the in a in the position like like Chris was really. Um, 
but Dale was never with a big promoter. Uh, he's always having to sell loads of tickets to get on bills yeah. and, and, and giving short notice fights. And, and uh, he had a chance against Sam Eggington. Now, he'd beaten Sam Eggington a couple of years before in Prize Fighter. Um, but since then, Sam Eggington had, had really shot to the stars, won the British title. But we had um, we had ten days, ten days notice, and Dale yeah. wasn't fit. So, you know, we just pushed him and pushed him and pushed him. Um, I think he had one ten round spar, um, a couple of other spars. But we managed to get him to the fight fit, um, made weight just about, and he dropped Sam in the second round, um, and then he he died a death. Um, but then it looked like I was going to pull him out in the 11th, but then he, I give him the opportunity. He went out in the 12th and he, and he shook Sam and, and hurt him. So it turned out to be the right decision. But, yeah. you know, for someone who only had 10 days notice against a, a, a very good champion, like Sam Eggington, he came out of it with a positive. So yeah. um, you get those situations, I think, quite regular, don't you, in, uh, in, in, in our sport? Definitely, mate. What, one, um, one question that was um, sent across on the social media was, which is it a fighter? And, and I, I hate using the term that for you has been like the biggest waste of talent you've ever come up. But you know, somebody who, who had the potential and the natural ability to have gone as far as they wanted, but never actually, never actually followed it through, or never had that commitment to training. And you, you know, it, it, who, who for you in your career that you've seen as somebody that it's just, it's a bad term, but the biggest waste of talent then. I think there's been a in with me there's been a few um, and when I'm asked on the spot like this a lot of the time I, I struggle to think but I mean the one the one for me is a kid that I had um, a few years ago a kid called Lewis Reese now um, obviously um, I was with Liam Williams for seven and a half years Lewis Reese was a little bit older than Liam but they were they were in the, the GB squad together yeah um, and they were they they both boxed a Ronde ABC in in Penagrive. Um Lewis was a beautiful boxer. He was really, really good. Um, but he just, he didn't want it. He didn't want to yeah. box. I think he was, I think Lewis was boxing for his dad. You know, his dad really loved boxing. Yeah. And Lewis was very good. He, you know, he had, he had, you know, he had, uh, he was, he was very good in every department. And um, he, he won nine straight, um, but he was always cheating on the weight, you know, yeah. always cheating on the weight. And um, we, um, Enzo Mack boxed, um, Jürgen Bremer out in Germany and I had Liam and Lewis on the undercard so Liam all week was you know drinking his water having his three meals Lewis was just starving himself all week because he <laughs> because he'd basically been cheating okay. on the diet yeah, yeah, yeah. well um, he actually I thought he won that night Lewis but they gave it a draw um, so then Frank Warren's lot they give him another chance after that and they put him against a journeyman, quite a famous journeyman, actually, called uh, William Warburton, a very tough man. And when I said what weight, um, the, the matchmaker said it's, it's an on-the-day weigh-in, 10 stone 12. So when he said it's an on-the-day weigh-in, it's kind of, you know when you just know? Yeah, yeah. I just know. I knew. Yeah. Because on an on-the-day weigh-in, you can't cheat. No, no. If you if you kill yourself to make that weight, you ain't going to have nothing left yeah, in the fight. So, um he ended up losing in that, in that he lost on points and um, and then he packed it in and um, Lewis is um, I don't know what he's doing he's, he's working now obviously he's he's massive now Lewis but um, where's he from, in, uh, where's he's, he from? from he's, he's from up in um, 
uh, up in the Ronda. Um, Ronda, yeah, I thought I thought it was when he said it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's but he's happy, you know. He's he's working in a. Uh, I don't know what he's doing. I think furniture removal or something like that. But he's happy. Happy, and, uh, you know. You know, I'm glad for him. As you said, sometimes they're in it, but you can't. Give me some. Give me an average fighter with a, a real strong mindset against a naturally talented athlete with a very weak mindset. Because the grafter and the hard mindset is always going to overcome. It balances out, you know. Because it's not just about the 12, three-minute rounds in boxing or the three, five-minute rounds in MMA. It's about turning up two, three times a day to your training. To When that bar of chocolate is calling your name in the in the fridge, you've got to leave it there. When all your mates are popping down to the pub to have a couple of pints on a beautiful sunny afternoon and you've got to say, no, I'm not coming. It's not for everyone. And as you said, I think that feeds back to the, the people I think that are the most successful are the guys who really love their sport. Because yeah. it's what they want to do, you know. And you, you can't coach that into them. That's that's either in them or it's not. Well, if you've got that, you know, if you've got that talent, you know, that that top talent, and you've got the dedication to go with it, then there's no, there's no, you know, there's, yeah. there's no doubt about it. You're going to become a champion. Yeah. It's as simple as that. And um, it's you know, it's the guys. Isn't isn't it? It's, you know, isn't it just sad that the the most talented guys, most of them, they haven't got that dedication. Yeah, and, uh, I, I, I've had guys come in the gym, and as you said, so many I could name, and I've gone, do you know what, this, this, is, this is the one, this is the next guy I'm going to get in the UFC, and they'll blitz it for like an 18-month, two-year period, they're flat out, training, dieting, and all of a sudden it, it just seems to, to, to fall, and, and you're thinking, what's happening, Why? and, and they just fall by the wayside, I, you know, I've been seeing that for the last 12 years since I've been coaching, it's... It's something you can't make them want to do. They've got to. They've got to want to do it for themselves more than anything. You can encourage and you can be on their case. You can you can be disciplining them, but they they've got to want to do that themselves. And mm. if they've not got that in their mindset, we're going to struggle. Yeah, I agree completely. Right. Well, obviously, the last few years you've been involved a bit more in the MMA scene, haven't you? You know, you've um, Aaron Khalid, Liu Long does some training with you. Oh, Jack trains with you. What what's your thought when, when you've been to some of these main? Um, MMA events, particularly the Cage Warriors ones, how do they? What's the difference between like the crowd atmosphere, the running of it, to, to the current boxing, the boxing shows that you're at? Is it is it a big gulf between them? What what differences do you see? And I don't mean about the actual sport itself, just about the running of the event. The long the the, the basic um, the running the event is more organised for for MMA or boxing. MMA. MMA, yeah. Yeah, more organised. The, there's more of a crowd. In, um, in in the MMA, yeah. Uh, one advantage you've got in the MMA is that um, see the kids on the undercard. Yeah, yeah. The kids on the undercard, they don't necessarily have to sell tickets to get paid, do they? they no, no. Flat, they can't get a flat rate. Yeah. However, um, I've got a kid called Meredith Thomas, who four times has fought and has earned a penny. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Basically, because. That the whole of your purse and your opponent's purse has to come out of your ticket sales. So, so if you don't shift tickets, you don't get nothing. Well, you, it's, it's a little bit different in well as well in boxing, Rich, because in 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 MMA, there's no really no journeyman. Everyone's come to win. Yeah. Whereas in the boxing, you can't just put a, a, a new pro in the ring with someone four and zero. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, they're, yeah. They're probably going to get beat. So yeah. there's a lot of journeymen around. You have to put them against this journeyman. That journeyman's going to get paid. He's got to get paid. 
Because yeah. he's not turning up to win. He's turning up, really, to look after himself and try and go the distance. Yeah, yeah. So, that opponent, four-round fight is going to be £1,200, right? So, whatever's left after that £1,200 of tickets, say there's a grand left, you go £500 each with the promoter. If the promoter's an half-decent guy. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, they could take more. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the time, Meredith sold just enough to face the opponent. Yeah, and then didn't make nothing. And then I remember the ones, he, he, I think he sold £1,215 of tickets. He had £15 left and he come and put it in my bank <laughs> because I hadn't been paid for about three fights from him. <laughs> so it's, that it's meant fair. as much to me as in giving yeah, me Yeah, of course it does. Of course it does. It did because it, it just it goes to show that he wasn't a, he wasn't a selfish mean bugger. I, I think what we are lucky with with the MMA is that we can we can put a, a strong undercard on with amateur fighters, which they don't do in the boxing. Yeah. So that obviously helps with ticket sales. I mean, typically when we do the big shows in the ice arena, if you're an up and coming amateur, you know we we got amateurs down there. They'll sell you a couple of hundred tickets because it's a big deal for them. I'm on a cage warriors event. You know the main cast televisor. I get to say I've been on the same card as Jack Shaw or Brett Johns yeah. or Jack. You know it, it's a big deal for them. But I, I think boxing could learn a bit from that as well about. Giving you know again, giving uh, the amateurs a little bit of um, exposure, fighting under those bright lights. This is why I enjoy putting my amateurs on the big shows because they get used to fighting in that arena. It's not it's not alien to them when they step up to pro as well. You know they've had that good experience with it. Yeah. You, you've obviously um, you've obviously uh, had your your debut in the UFC recently as well without Jack. I was that experience when you was out there. Well. Um... It's, it's funny, really, because, um, you know, Jack likes me to work the corner. Um, you probably know better than me why he does, because I, I feel like a, a spear prick sometimes, you know. <laughs> so I don't understand when it went on. Not at all, mate. We wouldn't have it any other way. We wouldn't no, have it. That's any. it. But, I mean, you know, out of the, all the fights that I've ever worked in the corner with you, the actual UFC fight is the only one where I had, I had any advice to give. And, yeah. you know, it turned out being some... Some some pretty good advice. I don't know if he took it in or not. Well, I think um, he did. I thought he bought. I, I thought his boxing locked on point against an opponent who came in there with a fighter. Team, yeah. as an elite level stand up fighter as well. You know, yeah. and I and I thought he won every strike in exchange. He got a little little bit carried away. And there's a lovely highlight video. Um, there's a the mini doc they done on us where they follow us. And stop brawling, stop trading. <laughs> you see, shouting. I think I learned an f bomb go as well. You know, my, wife said, my wife said to me, my wife said, why are you, why are you the one that gets caught swearing at everybody? Listen, there's no one's language is worse than mine, yours and Parker's off camera, is it? When we, the three of us are together, there's some choice language. But when it's time to be professional, as you said earlier, you, I think it is important how you carry yourself because you're leading, you're being an example for the youngsters as well, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? You, you want them coming through and having the right habits. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, there's nobody, you know, when we're in the gym and when we're having a laugh, I don't think there's anybody that swears more than myself. Well, there is Chris Jenkins um, and, a, and a couple of the yeah. other boys. But no, you know, I think you've you've got to act like a professional, haven't you? I, I'm old school. I just believe you, you go to certain events, you have to dress a certain way. Yeah. You go, you, you work on TV, you have to dress a certain way, you have to act a certain way. Um if you're in the corner on TV, a lot of the time, you know, you, you swear. But I try I try not to swear in the corner. Yeah, yeah, I see. You know. Well, at the Cage Warriors events, it's the one thing Graham always touches on, you know. You're on mainstream television. You know, it's, it's quite early. Please try and avoid using the, the bad language because I've got to deal with the TV company. And I try and respect that whenever whenever we call. What, what What's your, you know, you've, fought, you, you've cornered and you've fought on some of the bigger events in boxing. 
how, how did that UFC match up with professionalism and the way they, uh, they, they run in an event? I just think that it's, um, it's, I said to you at the time, didn't I, you know, I think the, the running of it, the organisation is absolutely second to none. Yeah, you look boxing. Yeah. yeah, I think boxing could take, um, I, I think boxing could take a, a note of it, to be honest, um, because, you know, what I said, you know, with the, with the wrapping uh, of the hands, you had five or six guys running around yeah. doing the wrapping of the hands, whereas yeah. in boxing, you know, you have your own guy do it and, and then there's people sort of coming in and trying to inspect it and people arguing and stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas there, there was no arguments. It was all calm. There was kind of, there was five or six guys running around rapping, but then there seemed to be, you know, three or four guys running around doing one job. Whereas in the boxing, there's like three or four guys running around trying to do six jobs. Yeah. What, 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 so, what they do well, they invest into making sure the experience for the fighters and the coaches is as painless as possible, you know? Painless as it comes. Right, a couple of quick-fire questions to wrap us up. Yes. Who from your gym should we be looking out for? From my gym? From um, your gym. We've got um, Reese Edwards. Um, he's very, very good. He's from he's from the Ron. He comes from the same gym as Liam Williams and Lewis Reese that I talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, kid could be anything he likes. Right? Um, that handed, yeah. He does let his mind wander. You know, he doesn't always turn up to training. Um He's a bit of a grubber, you know. He loves eating, so you see what you see where we're going with this, don't yeah, you? Yeah, We've just yeah. Just been talking about it. Yeah, you know, yeah. This kid can be anything he wants, really. Um, if he listens to me and he dedicates himself for the next ten years, he can definitely be a world champion. Um, and then I've got a load of kids coming through. You know, five or six other kids coming through. Nathan Thorley is going to be fighting for the Commonwealth, like uh, the Commonwealth Cruiserweight title soon. Yeah. Um, I've got Meredith Thomas. Um, and I, I've got a load of other kids coming through, um, so too many to mention. But um, those, those those are the ones I've just thought about off the top of my head. So sorry if I've left anybody out. Oh. Um, if you could fight anybody in history, mm. past or present, who would it be and why? Sugar Ray Leonard. Reasons. Sugar Ray Leonard, I think, is uh, the man that I look up to most um, as a, as a fighter. You know, I'm not really. Never asked for an autograph. I don't really look up to people. Yeah, I don't really, yeah. I'm not that way. Um, but if if I saw Sugar Ray, I'd probably ask for a photo with him. Definitely. Yeah. Um, uh, the way that he carried himself, his, his his overall ability, and his respect for an opponent. Yeah. Um, I really like that, and I think that I can remember the first fight. My dad, when I was boxing, when I was about ten, um, my, the first fight, my my dad said, "Right, we're going to watch this fight tonight." And in, in those days, obviously the fight was in Vegas, so it was like four o'clock in the morning. But ITV used to show it the next night, about seven yeah. or eight o'clock. Yeah, yeah, I remember those days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, there's, there's a champion called Marvin Hagler, right? He said, he's, he's supposed to be the greatest ever. He said, but you watch what Sugar Ray Leonard does to him, right? So we watched the fight, and Sugar Ray Leonard beat him on points. And I've had the debate with, I don't know how many people, saying that Hagler won. Yeah. You know, Hagler, as good as he was, he was strong, and he was a brawler. And he had no flair, but he had no flair. Whereas Sugar Ray Leonard, I think he, he outflared him that night. And yeah. I thought I thought he won it. And uh, they were, you couldn't have given the decision to Hagler because of the way that Leonard boxed. Yeah. So um, that's my that's reason. And, and so he's obviously something you looked at. Do you know where I watched Hagler against um, Sugar Ray Leonard? Go on. On a big screen in the Savage nightclub. <laughs> in the Savage, yeah, okay. Yeah, 
early hours in the morning uh, we went over right just tell everybody where your gym is um you know and a little bit about your gym and we'll call it a day yeah so where are you based at the moment based down in uh Llan romney uh phoenix amateur boxing club at the moment i'm there uh i'm, I'm there in the mornings uh until the afternoons the boxers train uh half 11 uh, for about an hour and a half two hours um obviously if they've got uh, if some of them got 12 rounders, then I have to stagger the training, bring them in on their own to give them the, the one-on-one time. Yeah. For a lot of the time, they train as a team, as your guys do. Yeah. Which, um, you know, sort of pair them off or, or, or put them in threes, and they, they train as a team um, at the moment. So, um, yeah, uh, really good gym we've got down there. Always laughing and joking. Everybody's always welcome. A uh, cup of tea is only £2 as well, so anybody that wants to come down for, for a review. <laughs> I'll have a cup as well. But, uh, people but, are always welcome to come down and, 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 uh, and watch the training as well. So Brilliant, brilliant. So um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, Gal, on social media, um, have, have you got a Twitter account or anything like that? I know yeah, I'm on Twitter, much. The Locket Man on Twitter. Yeah. Um, Instagram, The Locket Man, and then Facebook as myself. So uh, anybody that wants to get in touch, um, obviously I do. I, I still do private sessions as well. Yeah, so, uh, they, they can message you for for personal. Keep a little plug for myself. Here, yeah, they? so yeah. for any, anybody interested in having a one to one with you, um, they can get in touch with you via via Twitter or or yeah, Facebook, or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Yeah. Right. Thanks, Gaffer. Take you know. I think this is the longest one I've done so far. I'm looking at about an hour and twenty. We've been going for. So I told you we put the world to rice tonight. Yeah, definitely. Um, Hopefully, when this madness is over, I'll be done with our Jack buddy, and uh, and I will catch you very soon. Soon, definitely. Right. See you soon. Thanks, Scott. Ta-ra.